You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me in Southampton, England, is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, Jonathan, I did that in one take. Haven't haven't podcasted in like six months, and I remembered that intro like, like it was yesterday. Welcome back, Ryan. I know. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Uh... It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's been a heck of a summer. How's life? How's the new one? It's complicated. I, life with with two children, you go from playing zone defense to playing man to man, which can complicate things a little bit. But couldn't ask for couldn't ask for anything better because the the little dude has been awesome. The big dude absolutely loves him, so couldn't ask for more. Life's good, man. That's awesome. For those who have not been following along, maybe paying attention to other things in the middle of the summer, um, and maybe not based in the U.S., or not curlers based in the U.S., um, the USA Curling Board voted to remove the Grand National Curling Club from as a region from USA Curling. So that's kind of a big deal. And Ryan is a member of, his club yeah. is a member of the Grand National Curling Club, so it directly affects you, right? Yeah, and I well, let's get all of our biases and all of our past allegiances out in the open so that this is clear for everyone. So I'll go over kind of how I am related to all of this. I am a member of a curling club that currently is a member of the Grand National Curling Club, which is the regional association here on the East Coast of the United States. My club, the Curling Club of Virginia, currently a member of the GNCC, uh, not currently a member of USA Curling. We allowed our membership with USA Curling to lapse, so we are among the number of clubs that are kind of sort of the reason that this all happened. Basically, the GNCC is allowing clubs like ours who have allowed our membership with USA Curling to lapse to continue to be members of the GNCC. They have not kicked our club out. And because of that, the GNCC is no longer in compliance uh, with USA Curling, where they are required to have at least 95% of their member clubs also be members of USA Curling. And that's what eventually led to this vote um, previously. And then in terms of like how I've been involved with clubs that have interacted with both um, both associations, I was a member of a curling club in Oklahoma City that benefited greatly from a grant from USA Curling, where we will a, we were able to buy a rock cooler that made it really even possible at all to, to play curling in, in Oklahoma. Without that rock cooler, it was, it was very difficult to, to do any curling in Oklahoma. But once we had that, um, the quality of play went up uh, significantly. And then here in Virginia, uh, our club benefited from the rock lease program that the GNCC provides. So I, I was on the board of USA Curling, uh, and for three years from 2010 till when I left the US in 2013, 
Um, even back then, relations were kind of fraught a little bit, I'd say. I do think this split is partly because of like long history of personality clashes. Like I really, I can, we don't, we don't, we're not going to get into naming all the people, but kind of, you know, for years, certain members of the GNCC kind of leadership board have kind of butted heads with USA curling. Um, I think geographically there's a bit of a perception in the GNCC that most of the action happens in the upper Midwest in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So I think that's part of the sense of alienation. And it sounds like some clubs also feel that, uh, USA curling doesn't do enough for grassroots curling, right? So do you think those are the kind of the major grievances behind this, Ryan? Yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, I would agree with all of that. And really this all, the, a lot of this goes back to, the, the current kerfuffle probably goes back to October 2020 when um, the GNCC sent out a an email to its uh, to its member member clubs kind of criticizing some things that USA curling had coming down the pipe. And, um, they kind of called their own shot because at the end of the email, they said, we realize that this may wind up with USA curling, um, sanctioning the GNCC and to, uh, almost two years later, here we are. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I was surprised when you sent me the email that, um, the Grand National Curling Club have been kicked out. You you occasionally have forwarded emails to me, uh, both from GNCC people and from USA Curling. I, I have to admit, because I'm on the other side of the pond, I just don't care that much anymore, to be honest. I'm like, oh, it's, it's to me, it's like, well, there was drama back in 2010 to now. So I didn't realize that it had gotten so bad that it escalated to that point. So I was a little bit surprised by it. We reached out to, to two people, uh, Kristen Conrad, who is on the board of the Grand National Curling Club. She, and she very kind of kindly agreed to come on and talk with us. So we, we talked to her a few days ago, and then uh, we managed to get Dean Gemmel, who's the current director of development at USA Curling, as well as the pod father. He's the original curling podcaster. So we were kind of glad to have him on too. So I guess what we're going to do is just do the two interviews back to back. Right, Ryan? That's right. And then, uh, you know, if you, you have any thoughts, and I think a lot of people do, you can slide into our DMs or email us and uh, let us know your reactions. And I'm sure we'll kind of follow up on this in a later podcast. And so I'm joined uh, by Chris, with Kristen Conrad today from the Grand National Curling Club. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. And thanks for joining us. So first of all, what's your, what's your role with the Grand National Curling Club? I am the vice chair of the GNCC, and I'll probably use that acronym as we go forward. It's a little easier. Um, I, I joined as a board member, as the club liaison, in uh, 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, and have uh, I've grown my role in the vice chair at this point. Okay. And so I want to start actually with the question we start for all our guests, right? Mm -hmm. So where, were you, where are you from, and what was it like growing up there? So I was born in Buffalo, New York, <laughs> a little bit different from where I live today, which is Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Buffalo is, you know, I had a great childhood and all, Buffalo's very cold and snowy. And uh, I definitely, I've spent half my life now in Charlotte and moved down here uh, for college. And, uh, you know, I was trying to get away from the snow, quite frankly, <laughs> but, but I love Charlotte and, and it's definitely become my new home. Did you did you curl in Buffalo then, or did you start curling in I did Charlotte? Not. Um, I started curling in Charlotte. So Buffalo actually did not have a curling club until the 2010s. Um, well, I should say they did not have one during my lifetime until the 2010s. Uh, they did have one prior, and they actually. Uh, 
at one point back in the olden Curlin days lost their um, lost their charter because they had a cash spiel, which today is completely legal. But that was uh, that was what happened back then. So learned to curl in Charlotte in 2010. It was our very first learned curl that Charlotte ever put on, and so I kind of joined as a charter member, and I've seen it grow from arena into dedicated at this point. Okay, great. So what we want to talk today about, I guess, what's going on with United States Curling Association, I guess now they're called USA Curling, and uh, the Grand National Curling Club, which we'll call GNCC, because it's easier, as you said. (laughs) But for a lot of our listeners who are not based in the US, they're not going to know what those organizations are and how they relate to each other. So what is the GNCC and how does it relate to USA Curling? Sure. So a little bit of a a history lesson first, I guess. Uh, The GNCC was founded in 1867. And so it's one of the largest and oldest curling organizations out there, which um, is is kind of cool. And in the uh, 50s, the late 50s, the GNCC had kind of existed uh, prior to that as a service organization across a lot of different clubs um, across the nation, which is why it's called Grand National, right? Um, And it was not functioning as an NGB, so to speak. Um, USA Curling was set up out of GNCC, essentially, so to act as the national governing body, and then the GNCC organization was split up into nine regions. And so now we have nine regions across the U.S. that sort of roll up to USA Curling. Um, The GNCC has remained as um, the eastern seaboard, right? So from northeast to southeast of the United States, so we have about 6,000 curlers or so. And we are, um, so I would say when we first started, we were mostly northeast, right? But then in, in the past 20 years, we've had huge growth in the southeast. And so we've definitely, um, our, our regional footprint in terms of geography has expanded quite a bit. So why, I guess the big question is, why was the GNCC removed from USA Curling? Sure. So um, to clarify, too, um, the GNCC was voted to be removed by the board of directors of USA Curling. Um, that decision actually has to be ratified by two thirds of the membership of USA Curling in October. So at their at their members assembly, which I believe is October 21st. So clubs and, and athletes essentially will be voting on the finalization of that decision in October. Uh, the big reason why um, just kind of factually GNCC was removed from the region was, or is voted to be removed, was that more than, or I'm sorry, fewer than 95% of our club's membership are not paying USAC dues. Okay, so when when you say that, does that mean fewer than ninety five percent of curlers in the region, or fewer than ninety five percent of clubs? Because those That's are a two good different question. things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So we don't really have a, an individual membership, so to speak. It's all done through the clubs and is is counted based on how many individuals you have. And so the clubs basically tally their membership. They say, you know, we have a hundred people. Uh, that's 100 times 34, which is the, the USAC dues. And then they submit that directly to USA Curling. If the club it does not do that, essentially they're out of compliance. And then if you roll that up to, so we have 76 clubs altogether. Um, and if you roll that all up into the Grand National Curling Club, um, if we have fewer than 95% who are in compliance, then essentially we are out of compliance is, is the, the concept there. 
Okay, so did this come out of the blue? Because for me, it just seemed to come out of the blue. But was this kind of going on for a while? Was there communication between the GNCC and USA curling? Yeah, this has been going on for, you know, a little more than two years, I would say, at this point. Um, So the, the underlying cause, I would say, is that in 2020, some decisions were kind of coming down from USA curling that they wanted to change a lot of different things. And, you know, we're in a pandemic and everybody's stretched and, and financially stressed, especially in the curling world. And uh, there was a particularly large club elsewhere in the country that decided, hey, we're not dealing with that. We're going to leave the USAC and our region. And we looked at it and said, you know, like we are a service organization first, like we have kind of those two value propositions, service organization and region. Mm -hmm. And we said, what happens if our clubs make the same decision? You know, that everybody, essentially every club is a a fully functioning legal entity of its own, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's not, it's not just a group of people. It's like, there's a charter, there's a lot of them are are registered nonprofit organizations, etc. They make their own decisions, they have a fiduciary responsibility for their club, right? Um, So we said, they have essentially the right to make that decision. And then now we have to decide, do we kick them out of the region? If mm-hmm. like if they decide not to join USAC and our thought there was that especially for those really struggling financially with that being a big part of you know why they weren't paying their USAC dues in some cases. We said if we kick them out, they've been relying on our services like stone rentals, like insurance, like our mentor program, you know, all the different things we offer. They've been relying on that for years and this could jeopardize their survival. And so for us, it was a decision to, so we made, we took a stance, right? We said, we're not going to kick out those clubs just because they're not paying USAC dues. And mm-hmm. we, we proposed that stance to our membership. Um, our membership actually voted on it at our annual meeting and said, yes, we approved this bylaw change. We gave them the context, like uh, our club presidents and, and representatives, this is not something that's out of the blue. It's really been going on for, for some time. Um, and so we made that decision and, and, you know, we knew what could happen. Um, we were thinking it would be much later down the road at, at most points of this, this discussion. Um, and we've had multiple discussions with USAC to try to say, here's what we're proposing. Like, don't count these clubs that resign or delete this policy that you have, or, you know, we really have an, a true individual membership where the individual is a member regardless of the club status. And those are some of the proposals we've, we've kind of talked through and, and submitted as recently as, as May 14th from our annual meeting. And they've not been met with any success at this point. Okay. So let me, okay. So is it, I just want to understand why the clubs aren't joining. So you said the, obviously the pandemic's the big complicating factor. So is it mostly clubs that haven't been able to operate since the pandemic happened or are there some clubs that have just opted out of USA curling altogether, regardless of the pandemic? Um, I think on the the first point, it's not necessarily they haven't operated, but certainly that they had their operations shut down during a certain period. And so they were financially struggling because of that. That is a big function. Um, the other side is that essentially what you said, there are some clubs that are just unhappy with, with the decisions that were made by USA curling. Um, you know, you, you see it a lot on Facebook and, and, it's, you know, it's bubbling to the surface a bit now. There's a lot of people that wonder what USA Curling is doing for them. And, yeah, you know, I, I'm certainly not 
debating that we need a national body or anything like that. And I support our clubs that choose to be a part of the USAC. Um, but you know, if they make the decision for their club, that's right for their club. I, I don't feel like as, as my fiduciary responsibility to those clubs, I'm, I don't feel like it's my right to be heavy handed and go in and say, you must do this or else we're taking away everything. So just to give me a sense of the scope of it, just ballpark, I'm sure, I don't expect you have the numbers exactly to hand, but like what percentage of GNCC clubs uh, haven't paid, uh, aren't paying their USA curling membership dues right now? That I know of, and, and it's been a little tricky because we don't necessarily get that, that information back from USA Curling, but, um, but what I know of about 18%. Okay, so it's not like it's ninety four percent. It's it's like it's about a right, it's about right, right, exactly. Five exactly. That, out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's sort of the point, right? Like there are a bunch of clubs that are still members in good standing of USAC, and we're we're supportive of that. Um, but also those clubs that either can't afford it or have opted out, like that's that's sort of their decision. Okay, so then what's I guess before the the vote by the board to mm-hmm. expel the GNCC. What was the GNCC's proposed way for dealing with the problem? Did did you as a group want to leave USA Curling or did you have a, a vision for a different way of doing it? So we did not want to leave USA Curling necessarily. I think, I think like I said, our, our two value propositions are really as a service organization and as a region. And I think, you know, it, it still makes sense for us to continue as a region, even to this day. Um, I think where the... I think where the piece is that we really have an issue is that the policies that are put in place, and, and this is really based on a policy, not as much on interpretation of bylaws, it's, it's really a separate policy that's in their policy and procedures manual. This policy says 95%. And you know we, we did agree to that back in 2017, as uh, and I think it was kind of a band-aid on, on some of the issues we were having then. Um, but as of, as of now, like, this is not realistic for us. So what we'd love to see, and I think the most viable option for both is to have a true individual membership and Mm. have individuals sign up to be part of the USAC, to pay dues, to be able to play in play downs, to be able to participate, participate in national programs. Um, And and I think there's, there's a value proposition there for many individuals that that people would go for. Um, I think the the bylaws of the USAC set up an individual membership, so to speak, but it the individual doesn't have voting rights, for example. Mm. And so, and there are you know, pieces of it, you must be a part of a club that's in good standing. So it's not really separating the individual. Um, it's it's really just kind of calling them out as a as a member in in theory. So so the model would then be that. And a curler would just join a club that would not then give them membership in USA Curling. And then they would, if they wanted to join USA Curling. Yeah. And I think the club could certainly build that into their, their membership due structure like many do today. I think that's, that's reasonable to say the club could say, we want all of our, um, all of our members to be members in the USA Curling. Um, we do a similar thing, for example, in the U.S. Women's Curling Association, all of in, in Charlotte, for example, all of our club members pay a certain amount of dues because we as an organization have decided to join the WCA. And for that, um, I, I don't think individuals can opt out necessarily, but it's a club decision. Again, um, this would be more of because there's so many compliance related issues and, and membership is very much viewed as like compulsory by by USA Curling. 
um, this would kind of get us away from that and really allow people to um, take advantage when they decide, or clubs even to take advantage when they decide that there is value in that USAC membership. Okay. So since the vote, has has there been any communication about kind of next steps or with USA Curling? Because I, I guess there's, I gather there's like another meeting and another round of votes, but <laughs> sure. has there been like any any attempt for a path back or is GNCC not interested at this point? Oh, GNCC is interested. I would say overall we're, we're taking every, every available option for us to move forward. Um, the only communication, and by the way, I didn't know that the vote was going to happen until the rest of our membership did on um, you know two Fridays ago. So okay. it was a little bit of a, like we're an, an entirely volunteer run board, right? Yeah. And all, uh, most of our clubs are completely volunteer run too. So you've got volunteers up and down the Eastern seaboard who are like, oh, we're all getting this at the same time. And like questions and, you know, social media craziness and all that kind of popped up. Um, I will say since then, I believe the only thing, and, and yeah, I could be fact-checked on this for sure, but I believe the only thing that we've really gotten from USAC since then is the information about um, applying to the judicial committee. And I think we have to do that by August 25th. So okay. we, we, are going, we are planning to be um, applying for it, or I should say, indicating that we are going to participate in the judicial committee hearing. Okay, so there's that's a committee hearing that you can appeal to, presumably, and then there's also a members assembly vote, I guess, in October. Is that when it's scheduled for? Or? Yes, yeah, October twenty okay. first, I believe. And for our clubs that um, are part of our region but are in good standing of USA Curling, um, the action, as I understand it, and we're still very much in fact finding at this point, but as I understand it, the action that they need to take is let the USA curling association know that they are intending to vote and vote as a club right so sort of separately of the region because mm -hmm. the region has no voting rights at this point um and then assign a delegate to vote for them at the meeting okay and so that's the actual vote that would be the kind of final mm -hmm. chance in or out kind of thing yes uh, exactly. is there i guess can i maybe in, don't, if you feel not comfortable answering this go ahead oh, totally fine. just um is there then like effort by GNCC to lobby other member clubs and associations on how to vote at the meeting or is it just let it play out and see what happens? I mean, not, not at this point. I, you know, I wouldn't say we're having a lot of conversations. I wouldn't say we're like lobbying and saying like vote for us. Right. But uh -huh. like we're having conversations, honestly, about what this, this situation entails. A lot of them meeting with a lot of club boards. You know, it's not um, again, I wouldn't say we're lobbying, but we're definitely we're definitely bringing the issue to light. So people really understand why we're in this position and what we're proposing to move forward to. Yeah, originally, I think we we thought we had a lot more time to try to come to an agreement. And, and that wasn't the reality. And so um, we're. Now we're kind of having to explain everything very quickly and make sure that everyone is as informed as possible. Hmm. So I think aside from the membership issue, I think it's fair to say that uh, relationships between GNCC and USA Curling haven't been great for a while. So hmm. do you mind kind of explaining for our, our listeners who may not kind of know the whole backstory a little bit about what the GNCC's main kind of problems are with USA Curling or what their main concerns were? Yeah, I think overall, um, and, and I came into, just for context, I came into the, the GNCC board um, in 2020, right? So I'm fairly new to this this ball game, but I, I didn't come in with like, USAC is bad, like take them down. Like there's no, <laughs> that doesn't exist for me, right? And so I, you know, I was trying to understand exactly 
what went wrong. And, and so I've, I've done a lot of this sort of um, reflecting in, within our organization. And kind of what I've come up with is it's a lot of years of you know, some conflicts similar to this, right? Not, not quite as severe, but a lot of conflicts similar to this. And I think as a, as a volunteer board member and as someone who's spending my volunteer time on this, it would be very easy to, st- to say, like, they're causing me all this pain, like, screw it, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I don't want to do that because that hurts everybody, right? So my, my assumption here is that a lot of that happened um, throughout the years. There have been a lot of arguments um, in a similar vein. Um, I think what it boils down to, though, is that there's, we sort of feel like, Hey, we're pretty large, right? We're like 6,000 of us and we don't have a whole lot of representation and collaboration with USAC. Mm. Like, I think there's this assumption that we're always going to be at odds. And so uh, neither organization really like tries to collaborate. We've tried to coexist, right? But that's not the same as collaboration. So there's a sort of like us and them feeling, right? Like we're Mm. not in the Midwest. We're not the focal point. Like we're, we're a little bit of... Um, you know, it sort of creates that sort of villain um, perception, which we don't really want as a whole board. Um, but I would say the the relationships are mired in the past. There's not a lot of trust between the two organizations. And that really is causing um, causing a lot of the issues. So what I would like to see to kind of answer your one of your other questions there is I'd like to see us collaborate, compromise, and I'd like to see us have more rep- representation, not just a board seat, but like, hey, we're thinking about passing this policy. We're thinking about passing mandatory insurance and you should get rid of your insurance program. We're like, whoa, wait, we have clubs that don't need that. They're already covered through their their arena or whatever. Like it doesn't make sense for them. Like we would have told them that um, early on in 2020 when they made that decision, but they didn't come to us. Like there was no, there was no dialogue. It's just kind of decisions handed down and we ex- were expected to enforce. And, and that's not really the way that we operate as a board. Okay. So a lot of it sounds like it's communication, but you also mentioned representation. So I, again, for our non-American listeners, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but the current size of USA curling is about 24, 25,000 active curlers or? Um, I believe I read somewhere 18.5. That might be like just post pandemic. So, you know, okay. if we said, if we said 24 ish, I'd be, okay. I think that's reasonable. And then we're, so we're about a quarter. Yeah. Um, so you're about a quarter. And then the other kind of similarly sized regions would probably be Minnesota and Wisconsin, I assume. Right. Yes. Yeah. Correct. So, so, uh, and part of it is again, for, and I just want to kind of flesh this out a bit for our non, non us listeners. Um, if GNC sees the East coast of the U S most of USA curling activities have been housed in the Midwest. So Wisconsin, yes. Minneapolis, so quite, quite far yes. geographically. Right. So I yes. guess part of it then is the, the perception that most of the attention for USA curling, then is kind of in the Midwest as opposed to the GNCC. Would that be fair to say? Or I would say generally, yes, but I would go even further to say most of the attention is on the high performance side of the house, which is fine if that's your, if that's your goal. Right. And, we're, our goal is, is not necessarily that, like we want to support our athletes, but our goal is really like club level, grassroots, et cetera. Um, and even within the Midwest, some of their clubs are having similar issues that we are with some of our clubs, right? So, you know, St. Paul Curling Club, which is fairly large, is, is having some of those same questions within their membership and and they've left USA Curling. Um, and, and that's at the heart, like, that is in the heart of their region, right? And so mm-hmm. I think the the issue is not just the proximity factor, 
but also the the level of focus, um, meaning high performance versus versus club level. So what 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 would you want USA Curling to do for the club level curlers that it's not currently doing? Sure, and um, I you know I think it's it's a hard thing for me to answer because again as as like we're not really responsible for their value proposition. So from a GNCC perspective, like. You know, USAC, your responsibility is to sell your membership to the members, right? So I don't like, mm-hmm. but from a personal perspective, like from a club curler, I would like to see them sponsor things like the curler outreach program. That's doing a lot of great, you know, during the pandemic, they completely adapted and came up with a lot of great curling content. Um, I think both GNCC and USAC members have been on their, um, on their webcasts and, you know, like sponsoring something like that goes a long way for the clubs and goes a long way for that organization and be able to being able to do more to help clubs. Um, I'd like more of sponsorship, honestly. Um, I think at this point, our our club dues are obviously going to be the highest. Regional dues should theoretically be the second highest. The USA curling dues should theoretically be the lowest out of those three. Um, it's not the case today. Right. And so I think a lot of that comes from the lack of sponsorship that we have and the the inability to kind of counter some of those costs with external organizations fund. Um, so the the funding's just not there. I'd like to see them do a better job at really promoting curling from a marketing perspective, getting more sponsorships, therefore kind of reducing the burden on the clubs to pay for the activities of USA Curling. Um, and, and then again, just kind of collaboration, like let's, before you decide on policies, before you vote at a high level, let's get some club opinions here and, and, you know, tap on the regions. We know our, you know, we know our clubs. Okay. So let me flip it around a bit. So what, what for a club does the GNCC have that USA Curling doesn't? So if I, you know, so in theory, if I'm a club president, I'm not saying that's either or, but if I'm looking at both organizations now, mm-hmm. and now it obviously, if I was in the East Coast, would be a choice to either affiliate with both, neither, only one. What's GNCC doing that USA Curling isn't? Um, so I think that we have a lot of similar programs. We both have stone rentals. We both have insurance, et cetera. Um, we have you know, had ours in place for a very, very long time. And I think there's some element of that that's just you know, um, clubs, being familiar with that program, not needing to to switch programs, right? Like switching your rock rentals is, is a pretty big endeavor. Right? You've got you know, 64 rocks that you need to shoot across the country in order to swap stone rental programs. It's kind of insane. Um, but I will say in terms of you know what we offer as a region, it's commonly not offered in most regions. And a lot of regions really focus on playdowns, for example, and things like that. Um, we go a little bit more into setting up clubs, helping clubs get to dedicated, helping clubs get to juniors, um, get juniors programs set up, et cetera. Um, and I think one of the things that keeps being referenced is our balance sheet, right? So that's that's something that's come up in, in a few conversations. Um, and the reality is, yes, we do have almost a million dollars in the bank. Um, those That million dollars is between or among three different funds and or trusts, if you will. Mm-hmm. And those trusts are governed by a separate board of trustees. And each of those funds is, and this is a big differentiator, I would say, between the two organizations. Those funds are set up so that clubs can borrow for a dedicated facility and for setting, you know, setting up their, building their own curling facility uh, so that they can set up a juniors program. And then we have a separate fund for catastrophic events. 
So we're essentially, you know, for years and years, we've been you know, putting together funds to make sure that we can support those three efforts. And so I know that's, you know, there's, I've seen a lot of like, why doesn't the GNCC just write a check? Well, we actually don't have control over those funds. That's all managed by our board of trustees. And it's it's earmarked and, and has been donated to, et cetera, for those very specific purposes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would just add, I guess, a... <laughs> A million pounds for an organization your size, actually, or a million dollars is actually mm-hmm. not that much money, right? Like, I'm just like thinking about from work perspective, the kind of budgets mm-hmm. I have to move around for an academic department. So it's not, not that much, actually. I know yeah. it sounds a lot personal level. But I mean, secondly, I think you mentioned this briefly, but GNCC is actually a really old organization, right? So I, I assume that a lot of these yes. funds have just built up over, you're, you're 150 years old. It's, they've kind oh, of yeah. just accumulated over over decades, right? Certainly. That's a lot of interest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, again, with, with us being completely volunteer run, um, we have very little overhead. You know, we have, we, we pay some contractors on the side here and there to do different things that are a bit, you know, need a bit more attention, but overall our entire board is volunteers, et cetera. Like we have no paid staff, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. So what, what do you what do you think is going to happen going forward here? Do you do you want to try to get back into USA Curling, or do you have plans to operate just independently of USA Curling, or what what do you think the kind of long term plan now is for GNCC? Yeah, I think again, I, I think we're really exploring every every avenue that we have to remain a a region at USA Curling. Um, I think that there. are could be compromises reached and we, I just feel like there hasn't been enough effort necessarily to, to get to that. Um, again, we sort of thought we had more time to do it too. So that is one big factor, but, um, but you know, here we are in this, in this place, right? So we're going to try to, we're going to try to appeal to the judicial committee, um, you know, see what other options are available. Um, and, you know, if it gets to the vote, and let's say the members ratify the vote, um, GNCC will continue to continue to exist as a service organization. You know, we're not looking to compete with the USAC at all, but like our, our goal and the whole reason I got to this board is I want to serve my curling community, right? And, and the GNCC has a lot of ways that we can do that. And we don't have to be a region. You know, we don't have to have playdowns. We can still maintain our five and under events. We can still maintain all the different, you know, championships and funds and, you know, different, um, different pieces of value that we have. And, you know, clubs will have an option to join us. And it's, you know, I, I don't see the service organization side of the house changing very much. So what, what playdowns does GNCC operate there? You, you just mentioned briefly. So what events do you, do you run as an organization that are separate from USA Curling? Oh, we have a ton. <laughs> so we have a, a men's, women's, and um, a men's, a women's a five and under, and a, a mixed five and under as well. There's so many events that I, I you know, it's a good quiz. <laughs> There's a men's championship. Um, there is a mixed championship. There is, so all of these, I think, too, have sort of functioned as playdowns, but we have our own club nationals. We have our own arena club nationals. Or, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say nationals. We have our own arena club championship, mm-hmm. our own club championship. And then a lot of those have functioned as playdowns as well, but we can keep those within our, our region, so to speak, our, our geography, if if clubs want to continue with those. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of, um, I would I will probably get skewered for not knowing every single one that we have, but <laughs> but there are quite a few, and you know I think that 
there's a lot of them are steeped in tradition, right? Like we've got stuff like our, our Ross Tarleton, for example, has been going on almost as long as, as the GNCC has been around and that's our men's event. And it is, you know, those things are traditions. And, and as you know, curlers are, we love our traditions. So I don't foresee a lot of that going away. Okay. I've got two more kind of technical questions that sure. that Ryan kind of threw into the, the pot here. So one sure. was, what is the difference between the insurance offerings of the two organizations? So uh, yeah. I, I, just for context, I, Ryan always likes to ask the boring questions, by the way. And I think the important context here yeah. is that, you know, we've had our insurance program for a really long time. Yeah. And um, USAC, USAC had their own as well. Um, a lot of our clubs took advantage of ours for years, and it was never really a problem. And then in 2020, um, it sort of became a mandate from USA Curling that they choose theirs, um, and it was going to be looped into their their membership dues. And our clubs went, wait, what? <laughs> like, why would we switch? We're fine. Um, so... A big part of that, and I know the deductible was the big thing that, that came up for most people. The deductible on ours is, is $0. The deductible per incident on theirs is, is 1000 And so for a fledgling club, like that's nothing to sneeze at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, There are a lot of clubs, especially during the pandemic, that were like, I can't have somebody falling and suing me and have to pay $1,000. Like, and it doesn't happen all that often, right? But like, that's why you have insurance is to you know, protect yourself for the things you can't afford. And so a lot of those clubs were like, well, I, the, the insurance is relatively similar, but we can get it, uh, like we can keep what we have and not have to take any action versus changing and, and not getting the same exact thing. It, you know, from a club level, you can kind of see how it's it was a question at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the the second question that Ryan had is: Does the GNCC plan to enforce USA curling membership at a future date uh, when clubs start playing again? And was that communicated uh, to USA curling? So, a couple things to unpack there, I guess. And I would say, uh, so clubs are playing again. So I think that's that's a little bit different, especially. Um, from Canada. I think Canada went on on hiatus for a little bit longer than we in the U.S. did. Um, so clubs have really been playing even since late, late 2020. Um, you know, there were a lot of pauses and things like that, but largely we've been playing. Um, so I would say part of the reason that we made that change to our bylaws is because we very much, we have a little more of a laissez-faire approach to it than, than USA Curling, I think, might want us to. We're like, Hey, clubs, you can make your own decision. If you want to be part of USWCA, if you want to be part of USAC, great. Have at it. Like your relationship is with that organization. Your relationship over here is with us. We'll manage that with you. Um, So we don't, by our bylaws and and by what our members voted on, we have no intent to sort of enforce um, any kind of membership with USAC at this point. That said, you know, if there was some kind of compromise reach that was in everyone's best interest, um, you know, if we had to enforce a 50% instead of 95%, like we would absolutely consider that sort of thing. Or, Mm. you know, I think there's, it's, we want to reach a compromise that makes the most sense for all the curlers involved, right? And, you know, so I, I wouldn't say anything is out of the realm of possibility. We certainly will uphold what our, our members prefer, though. And that's that's the big key here. So we have a fiduciary responsibility to our members, and they sort of dictate what we do. 
Okay, so so one possibility is basically see that there's a couple of possibilities. One mm-hmm. is that somehow you work out a uh, compromise with USA Curling and kind of mm-hmm. figure out how to solve the membership issue. Right. It also sounds like ultimately GNCC, if they don't get back into USA Curling, they're fine with that. They're also kind of fine operating as an independent organization and clubs on the East Coast could then choose to join either organization, neither, both. Is that yeah, kind I mean, of other, yeah, outcome? I would say that's that's fair. I mean, if if this membership vote um, ratifies the decision, we're going to continue to exist. And, you know, it's I think it's unfortunate that we would have to exist um, sort of on top of regions. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me structurally. Uh, but if we have to exist, we're going to exist like we're not going anywhere. We, you know, we hope that we provide enough value to clubs to want to join and, and take advantage of what we offer. And, you know, we'll continue to do that. That's kind of the, the bottom line for us, I guess. But you know, again, I hope we I hope we can come to a solution that that works and, and a path forward that's a little bit less rocky than this has been. OK, great. So just before we wrap up, do you have like anything else that you want to say or anything you feel like we haven't really touched on in the interview? Um, it's a great question. I I don't know that I do. We've covered a lot of ground here, but you know, I would say generally I'm I'm available personally um, throughout this whole thing. If anybody has any questions, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I think I, I I'm probably in your mutual friends on Facebook if I'm not in your direct friend list. So you know, it's I I I really love connecting with curlers. I love this sport. Um, I love this community more than anything, and so I certainly am am open to taking any questions or concerns personally. Okay, great. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Kristen. And uh, we'll kind of be following the story, obviously, as it progresses and uh, see how it resolves itself. All right. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Thank you. So we're joined today uh, by Dean Gemmel, who is currently the USA Curling Development Director. But before that, he was a competitive curler in the U.S., uh, won the U.S. National Championships in 2012. Is that it? Yes, that's too long ago, but true. Okay, my, my actually the, is correct. the second the second Gimmel to win a U.S. That's national true. championship. Yes, yes. I will quickly thank you guys both for featuring my mom on your podcast some time ago. It was a big thrill for her. She's in her eighties now, and you revisited her win in nineteen ninety one. So thank it, you for doing that. You did a fine job. It was honestly the most fun that I've had <laughs> doing one of these things. I loved making that episode. Oh, that's great. It was really good. I mean, yeah. she, was, she was thrilled with it. So, Well, that was a crazy story, right? A, a team from yeah. Texas winning it all. So, yeah, yeah, we had to dig into that. And you were also, before before all of this, you were the original curling podcaster, right? I think. I can't think of any other curling podcast <laughs> before yours. Yeah, I, I think I probably was. I started mine in 2005, the curling show, where I interviewed mainly top players in the game um, from 2005 until about 2017 when I, I sort of ran out of gas and talking to people, I guess, in that format. So, yeah, it was uh, I was dumb enough to start podcasting early and then get out of it right before it really exploded. <laughs> Are the files still up there? Because there's a lot of kind of classic interviews. I'm not sure if they're are kicking around anymore. But yeah, I mean, I finally stopped because my site was hacked and it was beyond my technical capabilities. But there there are some people who've tracked down some files for me, so they are floating around out there. Um, but yeah, there were some good episodes. It was a lot of fun. I always enjoyed doing it. So yeah, I do have I- a new podcast now with with USA Curling called The Whole Spiel that you can find on the USA Curling website. 
Okay, yeah, and we'll, we'll put some links to that for sure, sure. At, uh, at the end of the show. Um, okay, so we actually want to start with the question we ask all our guests. So where are you from, and what was it like growing up there? Sure. Um, I, uh, I was born in, in uh, North Vancouver in, in British Columbia, but I grew up in Niagara Falls, Ontario, right on the border. Um, my father actually worked in Niagara Falls, New York, and I grew up uh, it's kind of a weird place to grow up, I think, Niagara Falls, but uh, but <laughs> good for summer jobs. And uh, I curled, I began curling at the Niagara Falls Curling Club. Uh, and then I went to school in Montreal, I moved to the U.S. in 1991 and uh, became a U.S. citizen in 2000. All right. And the, I guess the reason we have you on today is to do with kind of USA curling. So you're now the director of development. So can you tell us a little bit about what that role entails and, and when you kind of transitioned into that role? Yeah. So I started um, last May with the organization as a staff person, uh, certainly been involved with it for a while, but um, you know, like any organization where uh, we don't have a huge pile of resources and people uh, my job covers a lot of different things. So um, you know, I, I, one of the thing I'm, I'm focused on helping clubs grow. I'm focused on getting, uh, new facilities built. Uh, and then I also, uh, spend a lot of time working with others in the organization on things like junior programming and events and, uh, anything, uh, we touch, uh, USA curling that, uh, that I can help improve. Uh, and then I typically serve as the play-by-play -play person when we do web streaming uh, of events, which we'd like to do more of, and I'd certainly like to do more of, but it's as, it's as many web streams as resources allow, and we're hoping that we can do more and more in the future. All right, so let's get to the big issue. So the reason we're having you on right now uh, has to do with the hot issue, at least in USA curling circles at the moment. So it concerns the USA curling board, voting to remove the GNCC as um, one of its uh, members, right? Member regions, I guess. So can you explain a little bit about what happened and what the rationale was for that action? Yeah, sure. So uh, our member members of USA Curling are technically the regional associations and athletes, but uh, the regional associations serve on the board. They have a board seat uh, and the relationship has always been uh, symbiotic, I guess it's been that the, you know, the regional associations work with the national association and vice versa. Um, so part of that has always been that if a club, uh, decides to join the regional organization, the regional association, they join the national association at the same time. And that's vice versa, by the way, we have had very few at large members in the past, only when another region uh, couldn't accommodate them or didn't see, didn't want them. Then we would have them as at-large members, but typically we have had, uh, all our, all our USA curling member clubs are members of a region as well. So, um, that's sort of the structure of the thing. And then with that comes responsibilities to our member for our member associations. And one of those is, is quite frankly, to not have, uh, clubs join only the regional association and not the national association. And like I said, that works vice versa, but, um, and that that's intended to, you know, uh, ensure that we're working together and not at odds. Um, and, uh, I think what's happened, well, I, I know what's happened. What's happened is the GNCC has accepted 
a number of clubs into their organization uh, in, in the GNCC only. Um, and that brought them out of what is a 95% compliance requirement. You're supposed to have 95% of your clubs, members of both. Um, so that was ongoing for some time. Uh, discussions, they were actually suspended, I guess, technically last year. Uh, and then it came to the board vote uh, when it was clear from GNCC leadership that they weren't going to change their position on this. Uh, and that's why the association, not the curlers and the member clubs within the geographic region, but the association was removed from USA Curling by a board vote. It's still to be, it will be, you know, it goes to a member's assembly vote in October. Um, but that's really the crux of the matter. Um, and, you know, uh, I'll quickly say, you know, a lot of people think it's rooted in us fledgling arena clubs who can't afford to join both. I'll say two things on that. One of the things is um, the secretary, the treasurer, and the president of the GNCC all belong to established clubs that do not belong to USA Curling, um, hardly arena clubs, one being the Nashua Country Club. And then the other thing I'll just add is that we do have a severely discounted membership for new clubs that are new and just joining us for the first time. A, a, a new club will pay 33% of the $34 individual dues payment in their first year, 66% of that in the second year before they move to full payment status in the third year. So um, we have gone out of our way to accommodate those kind of clubs. We certainly want as many members as want to be part of us. We'd like them to be member clubs. That was a long answer, but, uh, and I might've jumped into your next question. Well, and I will get everything out in the open. I, I am a member of one of the clubs that is currently a member of the GNCC, but has allowed our USA curling membership to lapse. Yeah. I mean, and I'll ask you about that, Ryan, because I didn't realize until recently, and I'd suggest this to other clubs that are in your situation. I didn't realize that your club essentially wasn't curling in recent years. We haven't. The last league game that we played was the day after Rudy Gobert tested positive at the game against the Thunder back in 2020. That was the last time I played a league game. So I, I just suggest, I, I don't know if it was communicated, but I'm not sure. I didn't know that you weren't curling. And then I, I guess you also have a, an arena that's being renovated, et cetera. So I would just urge clubs in that situation to, to reach out because I, I didn't know, but perhaps it was communicated. Uh, yeah, I'm not on the board, um, so I don't know what the communication has been back and forth. I know that the potential of rejoin or not necessarily rejoining, but basically getting back on good terms financially with USA Curling, with uh, they'll decide they'll talk about that more at the annual general annual general meeting for our club, which I believe will be August 28th. Yeah. And I would, I, again, I'd suggest that, I mean, I'd love to be involved or, or give you some insight into that. We, we have um, offered clubs that struggled during the pandemic or if somebody's not even curling, we didn't collect dues from them. Um, but um, if we didn't know they weren't curling, then we probably tried to, we probably continued on with sending out a dues notice, but uh, sure. I mean, connect me because we've been flexible with some clubs uh, in terms of, of their dues membership, we certainly want nothing but as many healthy, robust clubs as we can uh, as, as possible. So I think sometimes, you know, and, and I will admit that, you know, we're not a huge staff and sometimes we don't get our messages out uh, in the way we'd like to. Um, 
but uh, and we all know what social media does to messages, et cetera. So I just urge people to connect directly. Doesn't mean you're going to love every answer we have, but uh, it's certainly better than not letting us know you're not curling. So um, yeah, but yeah, I'd love to be part of that and, and you know, uh, and see if there's a solution there that would work for you guys. Yeah, I, th I think our board is communicating with uh, with the staff there at, at USA Curling, but I'm not I'm not privy to to that. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm I'm staying away from that for a few years, man. I got to get these kids out sure. of daycare into public school before I start worrying about <laughs> being on a board again. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, well, that's the best time to do it though when you have no time. So exactly. <laughs> You just wade in and go for it. So, so I mean, I guess that kind of comes to one of the issues is like around communication. So, what like were there warnings? Then it sounds like there were, but can you kind of walk us through? It, it wasn't just like you woke up one day and said you're at ninety four percent compliance, no. you're out, right? So no, how, there, how, what was the process basically? There was extensive back and forth throughout this whole thing. Uh, going back as early as late as you know, well. We go all the way back to, I don't know, Jonathan, if you were on the USA board during that bylaws revision. Oh, I yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. So <laughs> that was on, uh, that, that's 10 years yeah. ago now. Right? Yeah. And we were both years. on that. Yeah. I was an athlete rep. You were on the board. And we went through that round of revisions where actually some people floated the idea or, or, or explored the idea of not having member associations as members of USA Curling. The time the GNCC was really opposed to that. So we remained. That was one reason that we, we retained member associations as the members. Um, and then in 2018, there was discussion that led to the change from 100% compliance to 95%. And then within this past year and a half or so, there's been extensive communication between our chair, Courtney Schmidt, uh, and the GNCC leadership. Um, I could tell you that I've had, I had at least two pretty uh, blunt conversations with, with people from the GNCC. Um, uh, so, you know, however things were communicated, it was certainly not as if the GNCC was shocked or should have been shocked that it led to this. I think what they thought was that um, this just somehow wouldn't happen. But at some point, it's unfair to our other regional member associations to apply a different standard to one region. When other member associations who retain their seat on the board are following the, the structure that we have, it's difficult then to turn around and say, well, we provided a different, a different formula to this group. So, I mean, it, to me, it's no different than a member of your curling club who suggests that they want to play, pay a, a different dues rate, right. And, uh, than everybody else at some point you, you can talk about it like we did negotiate, talk about what might be possible, but at some point it's not fair to the other members. And so at, at what point did, did those talks kind of break down and it got to the point where you would have to take kind of this, for lack of a better term, this nuclear option? Well, nuclear is a bit much, but I know, but, I, know. <laughs> I mean, I, I do want to stress again that the member clubs are still member clubs in good standing with USA curling and we can tackle the at large or still in GNCC members in a moment. But, um, uh, I mean, I, I, in January it was problematic. There was a suspension period, um, not being on the board right now, I'm not fully aware of all the communications that were back and forth. Uh, I just know they were extensive. Uh, um, so I don't think, you know, this was never a, oh, uh, a midnight move that suddenly shocked the GNCC. 
and and then thinking about the decision to to vote the GNCC out, I think one of the questions I have, and I don't want it to sound like we're I'm blindsiding you with this no, question because no, I, I forgot I did forget to it came not on you know we sent you a list of topics we wanted to cover this wasn't no, one no, of them actually i'd rather have topics okay. that are off the list i can stop looking at this list so but I'm hide it right <laughs> was now. there was there any thought in terms of actually making the decision and then in terms of the way it was communicated to kind of how this would make usa curling look to outsiders because i know I know you've got a bunch of friends in international curling. Jonathan does being in Europe. I do just from doing this thing with Jonathan and the things that we're hearing are, man, what on earth is going on there in the States, man? Um, so like, is there any thought to how this might make curling in the U S look, make us, make us look dysfunctional? Um, I don't know if the international curling community could really cares to be perfectly honest. Maybe Jonathan can tell me something different, but, uh, I think it's more but, of gawking at a car crash kind well, of thing. I mean, you can read a million social media posts, right. That are, that are, uh, where people are enraged, but I don't think we underestimated what the impact would be. We tried to communicate as clearly as possible. We've been communicating with member clubs and other regions as much as possible. Um, our board uh, is available for communication. So I don't think we underestimated that it would be a, uh, a big deal to people. Um, that said, I don't know if to the everyday curler, it makes uh, a, a, a wild difference, uh, particularly, I mean, their club can belong to both organizations, right? I mean, they can, they can continue as an at-large member of USA Curling and a member of the GNCC. It's just that the GNCC at the moment, we'll no longer have a, a board seat. Now, if you're going to tell me that GNCC curlers have carefully curated the the uh, USA Curling Board minutes to see how their GNCC reps have voted in the past, I'd be a little bit shocked, but perhaps. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think we underestimated it. I don't know if, I mean, I think around the world, people are probably think of, you know, most countries don't even have such a regional structure, right? I also think, and I've said this all the time when I've been involved in USA Curling, the, the reality is that the average curler, the, you know, any curler, their affinity starts with their own club, right? That's where they feel the most affinity. And then I would probably say that their next affinity level is with their regional association because those are the other clubs they see and people they see. And then we come in last typically because we're a national organization, just like any other national organization. Uh, and it's, 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 uh, you know, fashionable or easy to, to not, to not like us. Right. Um, we're working hard to change that, but I'm not unaware of that perception. I, I want to circle back with something you said earlier, because I think it goes, it, it actually goes against one of the assumptions I had coming into this, because you were talking about the GNCC clubs that are in good standing with USA curling in terms of being at large members. I was under the understanding that they were having to re basically reapply in order to become at-large members. Is that not the case? Well, first of all, the reapplication process is a simple online form with four check four boxes. So it's not as if you have to fill out a form in triplicate or supply your bylaws or whatever. So if you're moving to at-large status, it's pretty easy. Uh, and we have a number of clubs that are already doing that. Um, clubs are free to move to at-large, um, you know, and, and clubs are free to remain in the GNCC. The reality is that at the members assembly meeting, 
the GNCC uh, and its representatives don't have a vote on this issue as it relates to GNCC, just like their board director didn't have a vote on it. They have a voice, but not a vote. Um, At-large members can vote. At-large member clubs could vote. Um, so I, I think it's a question of does a does a club, you know, uh, I don't think a club is forced to make any decision, to be quite honest. I think if they want to be at-large and they're committed to that, great. Join us as at-large. If they want to remain GNCC through the members' assembly vote, they can, and then they can assess after that. Um, so I don't, I don't see a whole lot of challenge there. And I, I would say this reapply is sort of a misnomer because I just shared it with uh, with a club today, and it's pretty straightforward process. What it, some people have questioned the September fifteenth date uh, as a deadline, and the only reason we put that out there is because when a club does apply to be at large, there is a formal process of sorts where Gordon McLean, our, our secretary, shares that information with the board and the board votes on it. Right now, that's a pretty routine vote, but we want to make sure that anybody who wants to be at large, uh, that that happens prior to the members' assembly. And so why not just automatically make them at large? Just say, we've removed your, your regional rep and you are now an at-large club. Uh, we could do that. That seems a little draconian to me. I mean, I'd rather have them suggest what they want to be and we make no presumption about what they want to be. Right. I mean, they may not, there may be some clubs who are, who want to leave us all together. I hope not, but I'm sure there, there might be some, uh, we're working hard to, to ensure or to, to try to make them see the value in our organization. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think we'd want to just automatically assume what a club wants to do. So, Clubs, frankly, have two pre, the options aren't that difficult. They can switch to at-large in advance of the members' assembly. They could, they could switch to at-large after the members' assembly. That's perfectly fine, too. They can stay in the GNCC. They could belong to the GNCC and not us. Uh, or they could belong to the GNCC and to our organization as an at-large member. So um, that sounds more complicated. I think I just made it sound more complicated than it actually is. But it's pretty straightforward. I don't know. To me, from, from having been on a club board, introducing any kind of bureaucracy, even if it is just a very simple four-question form, sometimes can be unnecessary and lead to hour-long conversations that get out of control at a board of directors <laughs> meetings. I understand. I was a I was a club president and on the board of my own club, so I know what that's like. But I, I'd also just say that I don't think clubs would. Uh, a lot of clubs would not be uh, happy if we suddenly just switched them. Um, so uh, we're reluctant to do that. It's a, it's a very simple process uh, if a club wants to become an at-large member. So the GNCC has proposed a few solutions. I think the big one they like is letting GNCC members remain in the GNCC while not being a member of USA Curling. So can you just explain... Is that acceptable to you or uh, I assume the answer is no. So if not, right. then kind of why not? Well, why not? Is it, is it, like I said, it's unfair to other member associations that are following our, our governance structure um, and, and having um, clubs belong to both. Now, you know, I, I know that some people say, Oh, we don't want to in the GNCC. We'll say to be that say that they don't want to be an enforcement operation. Well, they don't have to be an enforcement operation, by the way. I mean, uh, if, if, if they're worried about a, uh, a new club that can't afford to join USA Curling, the GNCC, which has pretty substantial cash reserves, uh, could certainly 
grant that club some money and not have them in the GNCC and help them get going. I mean, and, and then when they're, when they're in a good place, have them join both organizations. So, um, you know, and, and we're not, we're not hoping to be in the business of enforcement either, just so people know that we have a governance structure as a staff person. I'm, I, I can't really change that. That's, it is what it is. Um, and, and reality is, you know, uh, we're working hard um, to show value and, and, and have people believe that their membership has value. Is everybody going to believe that all the time? Definitely not, but it's not going to stop us from operating that way. So it seems like, so it seems like there's basically two kinds of clubs that aren't paying fees, right? So I guess there's case one is there actually are clubs and it's not only the GNCC, I think St. Paul curling clubs also left recently, USA curling. Yeah, and we're in discussions with them to rejoin. Um, Chaska has been not part of the uh, of the USA Curling. Those are the two Minnesota clubs that are currently yeah. not, and certainly big holes. We'd like we want to have both of them. We're working with St. Paul to bring them back in, um, and hopefully that happens. But so, um, yeah. I, mean, I just want to like so let's just talk about that a bit. So I, I want to kind of get your sense of what's going on there. Like what what reasons have they given to USA Curling for leaving, and then what's like what are you guys planning to do to kind of address it? And uh, do you think it's kind of a big problem for the organization? Well, I mean a lot of the a lot of this the St. Paul Chaska and a few other situations I guess spurred started with the pandemic, which was problematic on a lot of fronts for everybody, including our organization. Um, so clubs that didn't curl at all during the pandemic, uh, didn't collect any member money or had no curling. We're not, you know, we're not obligated to pay any USA curling dues, but clubs that did were lots of clubs certainly had financial situations that were challenging. That's why we've worked with a number of them. We offered long-term zero interest, um, you know, payment plans on dues. Uh, we've done that with a number of clubs that, that owed dues from the pandemic and wanted, cause they were curling during the pandemic and wanted to come back in. Um, so, you know, I don't see it as a gigantic problem. That doesn't mean that we are not constantly aware that we need to earn members every day. And we try to do that. Um, we need to earn support of member clubs. We need to earn support of, of curlers of all levels. So, none of that really changes. If a club elects to leave, there are some clubs that will elect to leave no matter what. That's, I mean, when you and I were on the board together, there were clubs that elected to leave. Right. So, um, I think these last few years, I mean, last couple of years, whatever it is now, it's all a blur, but it's been challenging all around for our organization as well. I mean, we're operating with tight budgets, uh, and, and some clubs are too. As to the, the clubs that didn't, that owed membership fees, uh, during the pandemic, um, you know, and then, and then want to come back in. It's not fair to us to tell the clubs that did continue to support us that, oh, well, we just granted this club a pass, right? So we have worked on these zero interest payment plans with clubs to try to make it as financially easy for them as possible. Um, but I think, I think any national organization, you're always going to have people who are, don't have some dissatisfaction with it for whatever reason. And you're going to have to, you know, can constantly work to earn their support. Doesn't mean you're going to get it every day, but you're going to try. So you talked about adding value. What are some of the things that you're trying to do to show that there is value to being a USA Curling member? 
Well, one of my job is I'm, we're offering more products and services, I think, than we ever have before for everything from ice tech summits to a new approach to instructor clinics that actually incentivizes clubs to make them a revenue boosting opportunity. Um, we offer 11 championships, uh, including ones we've added recently. Um, and I know people say we only serve, some people will say we only serve the very elite curlers. I'd beg to differ. If you look at our championship schedule, I would say maybe, maybe four, if you went men's, women's mixed doubles and added in juniors four that maybe you could say were primarily for elite players. Um, and I would even put juniors in the middle there. Uh, you know, then you go through mixed fours, club nationals, arena nationals, new curler nationals, U18, senior men, senior women's. And I would say that all of those are grassroots uh, events, uh, especially the new curler five and under nationals. Um, and, and last year I'll quickly add too, just on championships last year was a challenge, not making excuses, but we had, we had events that we had to cancel with because of Omicron in January and February compressed a lot of things and none of our championships ran as well as we would like. Um, that's going to change next year. We, we're constantly working to make them, uh, the events they should be. Um, but yeah, so products and services, whether it's instructor clinics, whether it's our DEI efforts, whether it's, um, ice tech training, uh, whether it's content we produce, whether it's, you know, maybe people hate my podcast, but it's out there. Um, we, we are always trying to add, add what we, what we do now, you know, not every club is going to feel that impact every day, but, uh, you know, I, I think on the whole, uh, add in things like our safe sport protection, the insurance package that we offer as part of membership, it wasn't an additional fee. It was worked $6, worked into our $34 dues rate that didn't increase. Um, I think there is good value. And, I, you know, I can, you know, I debate anyone on that. I mean, I, I have said on other podcasts that it's a difficult argument for any organization to make that, oh, what do, we, what do you do for me, the average curler day to day? And I said, you know, I've been a member of the GNCC since 2006. Um, never played in a GNCC event, uh, probably never will just because they're not my kind of, not the curling I typically do like five and under, I can't do, for example, but I always supported the organization because I thought they were good for my club and good for curling. So, uh, I think that's true of any association and if it's good for my club and it's good for the game overall, maybe I don't agree with everything they do, but I'll support them. Do you have another question, Ryan? Or yeah, um, I guess along those same lines, in terms of USA curling, maybe struggling to keep up appearances that it's helping grassroots, like you said. You know, you you may not be able to um, make people see that at all times. What are the advantage? What would the advantages and disadvantages be? of having completely separate entities that ran high performance and grassroots curling specifically here in the U S. Yeah, that's a, that's a topic of conversation a lot. And in fact, uh, we talk a lot about just the overall structure of our organization and here's why we don't like that. Um, I, I don't think grassroots and high and elite level play are, are not, not intertwined. That, that would be to me like someone saying that Serena Williams never caused a young girl to play tennis, right? I mean, there is a, there is a connection between what happens at the highest levels in the game and grassroots growth. Um, I, you know, we don't have to revisit the gold medal in 2018 or just the fact, quite frankly, that our teams all qualified 
for the last Olympic Games is of value at a grassroots level. So I don't see I don't see how that especially is especially helpful. I I think a lot of people believe that we focus almost entirely on high performance. Well, it used to be called high performance. We call it our national teams. I'll tell you right now, I, I spend very little time on national teams. Um, apart from doing the broadcast of those games, um, I, I, I'm not, that's not part of my focus at all. And people can, you know, whatever, criticize that I'm not doing enough at grassroots, but it's not my focus. Um, so I don't see big value in creating yet another organization to do one thing that's related to the other. I, I think ideally we should be able to do both. Uh, and, and I say to everybody, we, nobody at our, at USA curling thinks we were hitting on all cylinders all the time, uh, from CEO, Jeff plush on down, there is a constant drumbeat that we need to improve everything we do. Um, so this idea that we're somehow content or that we're just pushing out things and don't really care, um, isn't really fair. Um, I understand why it happens, but. Uh, we, we think we can do everything better and, and um, I'm confident that that will continue and we'll continue to get better at just about everything, but I don't see grassroots and, you know, world level performance as the, as that different. I, I don't see what the value of separating those two out. I mean, I'd ask you, Ryan, just to, I, and I love to ask this and I'll ask Jonathan too, even though he's not in the U S anymore, but um, when people say that to me, I'd say, you know, as an everyday curler, what could USA curling do for you? Well, I'll say the number one thing, and it, and this leads to probably the biggest complaint that I've personally had about ha, have had about USA Curling in the twelve years I've been a curler is that really it's resources, and that doesn't necessarily always mean money. Now, I will right. say, when I was at Oklahoma Curling Club, our club benefited greatly from getting a grant from USA Curling to buy a rock cooler. Because mm -hmm. as an arena club, that was something that we absolutely had to have to make curling even feasible in 100 degree weather like right. we would have constant. But I would say that the number one resources beyond just money, like things like documentation on um, how to make your ice better, documentation on how to market a learn to curl. And yeah. I will say my main complaint is a lot of the times all of the talking points from USA curling, and this isn't necessarily you, Dean, it may be in the past would all, everything would always be future tense. Oh, we're yeah. going to have this, we're going to rule this out. And then if something was ruled out, it really wasn't communicated well. And we didn't know where to go to find these resources. Like I, like I'll, I'll tell you an example. One day I was just cruising around on USA curling's website and I found all of these great presentations from past members assemblies that I found incredibly helpful that I didn't know existed. Right. Um, so I would say those kind of things now, and then including the DE&I program that you're working on very closely, but in the past, it's always been future tense. And I would say that to an extent, it, it's still future tense. Now, I will say, I know you and I know the job that you're doing to make these things happen. So personally, I'm giving you guys the, the benefit of the doubt that future tense will become present tense very soon. Right. But that's just the frustration that I've had from my 12 years of being a curler. And, and all of that is 100% fair. Um, uh, I will say on the content side, we're working on a, and I hate to talk future tense, because, <laughs> but I'm going to have to. 
um, we actually are going to have a content platform. We've actually bought a URL for that, a separate URL where we could house all that stuff. Right. And, and it should be out there and we have it. I mean, it's, it's, it can be, and even if we don't have it, it's easy enough to crowdsource it. Right. So there's, there's plenty of stuff we could do with that. And we want to do with that, uh, to make, uh, to make our content more available. I will say during the last Olympic games, I mean, we don't have a huge staff, but, um, you know, we turned out a digital media kit, planning kit. We turned out a number of things that clubs could use during the games to market and promote. Uh, I turned out about eight videos that many clubs put on their website. Some about one was an idea I got from Craig Fisher in Fort Wayne, just a video about how to watch curling that explains mm -hmm. it, et cetera. So that's not meant to say that that's enough. Right. So I, I think, and I, I agree with you. I hate the idea of future tense too. I mean, I'd much rather be telling you that this content platform's launching tomorrow. There's some budget costs involved with having that, et cetera, but that isn't the plan. Um, it will happen uh, as a somewhat of a content creator myself. I'll be thrilled with that. Um, but yeah, I think all those, you're hundred percent right on that, that those are some of the things we need. I, I just add real quick. Uh, and I, and I hate to say this even because it sounds like an excuse, but our entire team is new since the pandemic, right? So Jeff Plush started five weeks before the world shut down. Uh, I think maybe Jenna Martin made us started three weeks before the world shut down. The rest of our group has all started after that time. I mean, I started, um, I started a week after I got my first vaccine dose. So, um, and I, I don't mean that as an excuse, but I'm just saying that a lot of the things that happened in the past, I was frustrated by, um, and we would like to change it. Last year uh, was challenging. It was a lot of whack-a-mole just trying to, you know, handle issues and problems that were created, that were out there. But totally agree with you. We need to do those things. Uh, and maybe if I come back in a year, I won't be using future tense. So, or and six months. Yeah, and I'm like I said, I did, knowing you, I I definitely give your your team the benefit of the doubt. I'll give you an example when this this whole GNCC kerfuffle kind of to me really kicked into high gear around uh, October of 2020 when USA Curling was getting ready to uh, unveil the uh, the Sport 80 platform oh, yeah. and which and, was a uh, disastrous launch. <laughs> uh, yeah, we actually, so we did a show of basically what needed to happen for that to go successfully. And then basically the exact opposite happened, yeah. but <laughs> I will, I will, I will 100% say we fumbled that. Um, uh, I will say that Jenna Bercheski, our membership services manager and her team are doing a great job making that platform adding to its utility and making it something that can be valuable for members but yeah it still has work to do but um if you know jenna you'll know what she, you know she's working hard at that and and making progress so that's one thing i can say in present tense is happening yeah. but yeah 100 percent. but anyway anyway when the idea of sport 80 came about someone from our club asked about it and asked about kind of the utility of having basically a CRM like that for curling. Yep. And I said, well, Dean Gimmel is for it. And he's one of the biggest critics of the U of USA curling that I know. So if he's for it, then it must be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would be, you know, it's, it's kind of insane that we didn't have it before to be honest, some sort of member profile thing. Um, and I don't profess to be a software expert, but a, certainly a content platform, uh, is, is needed. And, you know, I, I think one of the things is we don't want our own website, our own USA curling website 
we don't want to make that so cluttered with things that uh, a non-curler arrives there and doesn't know what to make of it. But we actually, I was just on the phone a couple of weeks ago with someone at USA Baseball, uh, talking to them about the platform they use and, and its value. So, um, yeah, again, some of that is budget related, how quickly we can do those things, but uh, the content's there. So we, we just need to get it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the idea of having a place where I can go and just see that all of my certificates are up to date. I mean, in, in concept, that would be very nice to have. Well, that, that is, that is available on my <laughs> USA curling sport 80 right now. I mean, uh, can I, I'll connect you with Jenna, but there are anybody who does a level one now, uh, like a level one instructor, they get an online certificate. Uh, we're changing that process. Um, I sort of ended up taking over that level one instructor process uh, and it was fairly ad hoc. So now we have people that are, they go on, they, they create a profile in my USA curling um, and then they complete the safe sport requirements, the background screen or, or the, and the first or the, the safe sport and first aid um, attend the course. And then they will receive a certificate, not a paper one, but an, a, an email one, and it'll be reflected in their profile that they're a level one instructor. Mine's old enough that it is a paper certificate. So my guess is I have to redo that training. No, I don't think you don't. No, I'm going to say right now, you don't. No, you just tell, tell us, reach out and tell us when you took the training. Uh, and we will, uh, get it up to date on us on my USA curling. You might have to update your safe sport and, uh, and first aid requirement. But apart from that, if you've taken the training, we're comfortable with, uh, we, we think that certification is valid. So, um, we have actually done away with this notion. We used to have level one instructors have to submit practical hours every year. Yes. Um, and I came aboard and I said, why are we doing this? First of all, it's a waste of our resources to track this stuff. And then also I want people who want to instruct just to be able to instruct, not do paperwork. Right. And to my, unless you tell me differently, Ryan and Jonathan, I don't think there's a problem with rogue level one instructors roaming around the country <laughs> teaching curling. Um, so. that, was, that was my other takeaway was I should have been able to do this online rather than driving three hours to do my level one. Well, good point as well. That's why we have online training coming up for level one course conductors. If you are a level two, uh, if you go on our site, you'll find a link to register for two online sessions we're doing. One of the problems has been that we haven't had enough people who know how to run a level one course. So we're gonna do online training for level twos, have more people be able to deliver more courses in more places. So I agree, you don't, I don't want you traveling three hours. And, and, and the flip side, as a responsible steward of funds, I don't wanna have to pay an instructor to travel three hours mm -hmm. either or more. So. I love a good train the trainer. Yeah. Well, so Sign up level twos. If you're a level two, take it. If you're you get get, uh, it's going to be led by Matt Shiner, who's done hundreds of level one courses. It's a really great teacher of the of the game. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I'll just add. So uh, Ryan, like USA Curling did actually a lot more than just get us the grant for the the rock freezer. Like this is I'm dating myself here, but I, when I was setting the club up, like before it existed, it was just like an idea in the back of my mind. I would call USA Curling's office. This is like 2008, 2009. And Bev Schroeder would talk to me for hours about like, here's how you structure a lease at an arena. Here's where the rocks are. Try these people. Here's how you get loans for this. And like, not just, not just here's the, the loan programs available. I was like, we have no money. She's like, well, right. this club's, this club's getting rid of its uh, measuring device. Why don't you go get their old measuring device off them? Like she knew 
how to connect yeah. people, right? And I'm sure there's lots of other kind of clubs that have that kind of a story that, you know, that someone in the office at some point in time definitely helped out. I've always found it a very kind of flat organization in the sense that like when I got on the board, there's a lot of demand for the arena championships. I remember being going to board me like, well, we want to do that. And like, well, if you want to do it, go do it was what I was told. So <laughs> I did. Right? And I think, I think that's the, like the bigger issue often is just the, it still relies a lot on volunteer talent to get stuff yep. done. Right. I think yep. you agree to probably even today, 100%. probably you like more paid people. But I think that, you know, there's nothing stop. It's the same thing at the club level, right? There's a lot of things can happen if members step up and organize it, but because right. so, so much volunteer stuff goes on in curling, it's, there's only, you know, and usually they have the same five, 10 people in a club doing a lot of that work ever I've yeah. been, right? It's I often mean, the, go yeah. ahead. No, you go ahead. It's often the same core group, right? I mean, it's, yeah. but I mean, I had a conversation with, uh, with someone from St. Cloud, Minnesota, where unbelievably they don't have a dedicated curling facility. Uh, and they're starting an arena club and hoping to move to dedicated ice um, uh, about, you know, some information about insurance we could provide and uh, et cetera. And then also, you know, sourcing equipment, um, you know, and, and how we could make those connections happen. As I said, around the phone, I, I said, I wish I could just write you a check for 250 grand and tell you to get started. But unfortunately, I can't. Um, but we do provide resources, networks. I'm often connecting people with uh, other people in the country who have made the, made the leap from arena, from an arena facility to a dedicated facility. And, um, yeah, I mean, the reality is we're still pretty flat, flatter than we would like. I, I think one of the things that, um, will help is just more revenue and make, and revenue beyond membership dues. Uh, I'm not suggesting that, you know, we, we can only, you know, I, I, you were on the board with me, Jonathan, years ago, and there would be endless discussions about an incremental $2 increase in dues. Well, long term, that's not great financial planning. We're going to need some find some other sources of revenue. And and um, I know that's a big focus of Jeff's and, and I think we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're still flat. Uh, we still I still feel like we don't, you know, get everything done as uh, that, that I'd like to. But um working <laughs> so um yeah but um you know and and again i'm not trying to make excuses but last year was hard i mean and, and then we're still dealing with it a bit we had a really hard time last year finding clubs to host events um and i i understood i mean clubs would say well we just came out of a covid year we're just trying to find our footing uh we're not really going to host an event we also have a track record of not really supporting those clubs not this team but in the past um, supporting clubs that host events. So we're, we, we are working hard to change that. We're working hard to help clubs maximize revenue when they do host events. Uh, we don't want, it's in the long term, it's a bad business model if our events go into a club and the club loses money, right? So we've got to do everything we can when an event goes into a club that they make money from that, that it's a revenue producing event. Um, and I think they can be some easier than others, um, but that's one thing we're doing. Um, now I've lost my train of thought. I was rambling on there, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, there's a lot of things that aren't dramatically changed from when, in terms of staffing levels from when you were there, Jonathan, but. Uh, oh, the, the other thing is, you know, we're, know, I think we've we lost moved you. our headquarters to. Oh, he's back now. Oh, I'm back. Sorry. Right. You know, the other thing yeah, is we moved our headquarters to Viking lakes in the twin cities uh, that actually saved us some money and put us, you know, at a, place that's easy to reach from around the country and you know 
the long-term goal there is to have a to have a USA curling facility at that site. So that's a challenging one, but that would be uh, really great. Solve a lot of our, you know, event problems for one thing, and you know, be a training site, an event site for some events. Um, so again, I'm talking future tense, Ryan, but uh, I'll I'll stop there. <laughs> So I guess just to kind of close the loop and bring things back to to the GNCC issue, kind of where do we go from here? What are USA Curling's plans from here? Like if GNCC is not able to rejoin, if the vote um, at the members' assembly is to keep them out, uh, what happens next? You know, will there be a new region for the East Coast or uh, is USA Curling even considering a completely different membership structure? I think a different membership structure is always on the table um, as we, you know, look to improve the organization. So I'd say that's always on the table. Um, I think after this member assembly vote, um, uh, if it's ratified, the decision is ratified, then there's there's three um, playdowns that lead to national championships that the region still run. Uh, that's uh, club nationals, U18s, and mixed fours. We also ask, uh, we ask the regions to um, send teams for arena nationals, but they're free to run those playdowns however they like. But in the future, uh, the immediate future, we'll run playdowns in the East for those three events. We'll run them ourselves. There'll be an at-large, there'll be an at-large playdown. Um, so clubs that aren't in the East could pro- could participate, but we'd be foolish not to put them in the, in the geographic area that the GNCC clubs are in. So short term, that's, that's what we're thinking. And that's as staff. That's sort of all we can do. It's like, okay, if this happens, do we run these events? Um, so that's, that's the immediate short term plan long term. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's not just up to us. I mean, the GNCC has made their position pretty clear. So if, I don't know if that doesn't change what happens, but um, you know, I, it's certainly not like something anybody was excited about, right? At our organization anyways. So, but it, you know, it's where we're at and as staff, we just have to deal with uh, the immediate future. Okay. So do you want, I guess we just to wrap up now, is there anything you want to kind of direct our listeners to first of all, resources about this, if they can kind of, they want to like research USA curling's position, where can they find all the press release, all that good (laughs) stuff. And then you talked about your podcast and any other kind of things you want to share with our listeners. Yeah. I mean, on usacurling.org, you'll find, uh, you know, communications about the situation with the GNCC. Of course, I also, I put my phone number on my Facebook page. So if anybody wants to phone me, they can. So far, I'm going to say I've only had two calls. So people thought I was bananas, but I've had two people call me. Doesn't mean I haven't called other people. But um, uh, I would, you know, dig into the website. It's constantly being improved. We, we have um, instructor courses on there now with dates and when they'll be happening. Uh, we're going to be adding some officiating clinics there as well. So there are resources there. Um, like I said, with a better content platform, we'd have more, but there are definitely resources there. The whole spiel is my podcast. Uh, I did interview uh, Brian Champion Westcott from Palmetto on that a little while ago to talk about this issue. Uh, previously, more happily, I talked to the people out in Oakland who just started to mm-hmm. open their new five-sheet facility. Um, and if 
you go back in the episodes, there's a great one with the guys from Drayton, North Dakota, uh, and their and their club in a town of 800 people. So there's it runs the gamut. Um, unlike my old podcast, I'm not talking to high level players all the time. Uh, I have had John Schuster on, but um, and there'll be some of that and Chris Plies and Vicky Persinger. But we're trying. I'm trying to talk to you know club people and and hopefully get some share some best practices and talk about, about that process. So, uh, yeah, that's sort of, the, that's the best way to, to find out more about us now. And all our emails are on the website. So, you know, fire away. Okay. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Dean. And I guess the next big events uh, in this story will be in September with the assembly vote. I'm sure people will follow along with that and we'll just kind of see what happens from there. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, there's, uh, the members assembly. I mean, we, we have a fairly complex uh, structure, I guess, with the members <laughs> assembly and a board vote, but, but the members assembly does mean every club has a vote. Typically they're carried by their regions, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, look, uh, all we, all that we can do at the organization as, as staff people is just keep, you know, trying to put on good events, trying to create some consistency across our events that we haven't had, trying to make every national championship, have the look and feel that it should, um, and support our athletes as well. And, and our, you know, along with our grassroots efforts, I think sometimes our, our top athletes get criticized as if we're only supporting them. But, uh, I would say quite honestly that they're also worthy of our support. So they put a lot into the game. I believe they provide a lot for the game. Uh, and as someone who played at that level in an earlier era, I know what it, it takes quite a commitment. Um, so, good for them and we'll keep supporting them as well thank you for listening to rocks across the pond a curling podcast you can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com please remember to subscribe on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher tune in or your favorite podcast app and leave a review if you enjoyed listening the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us that helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game if you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.